We're now live. All right. Welcome to the Golf Podcast Live. I'm your host, Raphael Calamat. As always, Michael Bleakley out in Vancouver. Very exciting show today. Uh, we have a special guest. Um, he is the author of Sent in the Clown, which is a Mo Norman story. Uh, our guest's name is, of course, Andrew. Andrew Stelmack, is that right? Andrew Stelmack. All right. Yeah. Andrew, Andrew Stelmack is not only an author, but he's also an abstract artist and an actor. Um, Andrew, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Well, this, uh, this episode is certainly uh, brought to us by Mindshare Workspace over at Glenn Aaron's uh, Shopping Center, where they have studios and workspaces. So we're thrilled to be broadcasting out of here. Um, again, we're on 16 different platforms right now, so make sure you tune in to your favorite platform. Andrew, we'd like to have our viewers and listeners get to know a little bit about uh, our guests. Tell us about your background, how you got involved in writing this book, and uh, where you are today with your golf game. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I've been an avid golfer since I was uh, eight years old. Um, uh, funny story about that is where I am right now, I'm actually in Victoria Beach, which is in Manitoba. And uh, when I, uh, the guy who was running the golf course at the time, and this of course is, I'm dating myself already, but in the seventies, and he did not like kids and he did oh. not want people on the golf course. And he had an adamant rule that no, no one under 12 was allowed to golf uh, until after 2 PM and be accompanied by an adult. Well, my, I guess I kind of got my uh, <clears throat> not willing to obey the rules uh, personality from my dad because uh, at eight years old, I could already hit the ball pretty well. And I uh, would always go golfing with my dad and his buddies in the morning. And uh, so one day he just said, you know, the, there's only two of us today or three, you know, a threesome. He said, you can play along. So I went up to that first tee and I was teeing up the ball. And Mr. Spinks came running out of the clubhouse saying, no, he can't golf. What are you doing? He's too young. Kind of read my dad the riot act. My dad looked at him and said, tell you what, my son's going to hit the ball. And if my son doesn't hit a ball, hit the ball better than most uh, people you, you see tee off this on this first tee, then he can't golf. But if he can, he's golfing. And he kind of had his smile and said, okay, hit the ball. Well, a lot of pressure for a little kid, but hit the ball and I hit it well and he said fine he could play and uh, awesome great so <laughs> from that day on I, I'd actually end up causing even more trouble for good old Mr. Spinks because then it was the other dads going well how come that kid can golf so uh, it was very shortly after that kids could golf anytime as long as they are accompanied um, by their parents except for the weekend of course so awesome. golf was early on in very early on in in life what kind of handicap do you keep these days? Oh, it's not what I want it to be. I usually hovering around 10. Okay. No, you, yeah. you get the ball around better yeah, than 90% yeah. of the golfers out there. So fair enough. Yeah. If I'm in the seventies, <laughs> I'm happy. If I'm in the low eighties, I'm content. I'm in the yeah. high eighties. I'm not a happy man. <laughs> yeah, no, I can relate to that. Indeed. I love the name of the book. Send in the clown. So uh, yeah. how, how did you come up with that? And, um, you know, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, that, direct, that actually directly ties into my, my background. Um, while um, I have a, I've established a great career 
um, as a visual artist, that yeah. part of my journey, my life journey is only about 10 to 15 years old. Um, okay. For that, um, I was actually a professional actor, uh, mm -hmm. well-known and established in Canada. And um, I uh, had, had, had spent a life of traveling and decided that it was time to not do that so much. Yeah. Um, but I had done, you know, the big shows like the Les Miserables and the, the Lion King and Beauty and the Beast and all the really big shows. Whoa, yeah. remember that? One second. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. this is what's great about live, uh, exactly. live casting at the gun. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, so you're a, you're an equity and actor member, I, I would think. I am indeed. Yes. Excellent. Good. I saw, I saw your IMDb channel, so I was going to ask you that if that was you indeed. So and uh, so you validated that. That's very cool. Yeah. So it was a great career, and I love to do it. But so my background is in theater, and the this the thing about this this book is that it was a play. Uh, long yeah. story short is this play. I had written a play called Poetry in Motion. M O E T I O N. And uh, a number of theaters were interested in it. Uh, and this was just prior to COVID. Yeah. So COVID sets in and a lot of people don't understand that to get, to get any project, whether it's TV, film or theater or whatever, it's a journey and a process. So what it, that meant was first, the theater would have a couple of read throughs with the play. And then in the following year, they'd held some workshops and there would be rewrites and the more development of it. And then once they're happy with it, then they slate it into a season, which could be a year or two, usually easily down the road. So I was looking at before COVID, the play actually hitting the stage, probably in 2024, Then COVID hit, everything got delayed. So now I was looking at 27, 28. And I thought, you know what? This is a great novel as well. And the great thing about a novel is with the play, I have to keep it down, the story down to 80, 90 minutes. Now I could add in all of the other things that I would love to, the, the fiction part of the story, but I could add to it to give it more breath. And so I decided, yep, this is the route I'm gonna go. And so there was a flick of the switch in the last, the last year I was able to take the, the body and the structure of the play and turn it into this novel. And now to answer that question of the title, uh, you, if you're a musical theater fan, um, there's a very famous song um, by Stephen Sondheim called Send in the Clowns. Yeah, that's plural, clowns. So I, yeah. when you read the book, you'll under, you don't understand the title until you read the book. But the re okay. the, the, it does, it definitely, it's a, an important part of, of why the book exists. Um, and I found enjoyment being able to grab from that title and pay homage to uh, a little bit of my theater past at the same time well andrew okay. thanks for sharing all of that uh, certainly I, I didn't know a lot about you um and now looking yes. back at uh at your your career and what you've done it's really interesting uh, i've got a theater background as well i went to thomas darcy gee for the fine and performing arts in montreal studied theater for five years i'm uh, still a proud actor member uh for the alliance of canadian radio television artists and uh um, I was just fascinated with the fact that you actually uh, wrote uh, this book. Tell us a little bit about it, what this book entails and why you went on this journey. I'm going to start with why I went on the journey first. Um, I've always been, again, as a golfer, um, 
and the still being of the age where when I was on the golf course, I would hear Mo Norman stories. But they were always the stories where this guy was odd. This guy was kind of weird. He dressed really funny. He hit it off of Coke bottles. He, he lived out of his car. He slept in sand traps. It was all the, the funny stuff. It was like, yeah, he was a great golfer, but then, but don't forget this, ha, ha, ha. And so it was always kind of making fun of him. And so that's the Mo that I knew. And then I came across the uh, infamous fireside chat. Um, if you Google up that, you know, Mo Norman, Fireside Chat, there's an interview of him. It's about 45 minutes long. And I came across this, I guess, in like 2012 or 2013. And I was absolutely fascinated by this man. Because everything we talked about, for him, it was about golf. But if you remove the word golf from everything he was talking about, it was the most ideal way to actually live your life and be successful and be content. And I just, and I also could hear and see the, the, the sadness or the anger he was sometimes hiding with the question, but he wasn't blatantly outward with it, but I could see it bubbling under the surface about the answer to the question. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I looped it three or four times and I just went, this guy is unbelievable. And why, why don't I know more about him? So then I went down the rabbit hole. And mm -hmm. so much information from many of the great writers out there who have done some research on him. And then I thought, not only is he an incredible character and human being, that's his oddness or his quirks or his differences are what I'm attracted to people in everyday life. But as an actor, I'm extremely attracted to playing an odd character. I don't want to play the normal boring guy. Yeah. So I just felt that this was a story that needed to be told, but I wanted it to be told in a different way than it's been told so far. Instead of saying he sat, he slept in a sand trap or saying he hit it off of a Coke bottle or he didn't want to talk to somebody or he just quit the PGA. I wanted to ask the questions, well, why did he do those things? And by doing a fictional novel, I'm able to put those situations into a place and let the reader really be in Mo's shoes, see how Mo saw it. And the result, see how society acted on Mo. So a lot of Mo's choices were not necessarily his own, but it was any So that's what interested me most about writing this book. I just wanted him to be seen in a different light. What is the people to experience that. Mm -hmm. And like, tag to that, my nephews, God bless them, are finally picking up golf. Sure, right? They have no idea who this guy is. Absolutely right. None. And yeah, I thought. Just before the cast, we talked about that briefly about, you know, if you're not 40, 45 plus and you're not involved in golf, you probably don't know who Mo Norman is. Um, I hear they're making a feature film, possibly. It's been floating around for some, quite some time. Lauren Rubenstein had mentioned in one of his Twitter's uh, tweets earlier this year that um, this movie may be done after all. Um, but that's great. My first real um, experience uh, reading about Mo Norman was The Feeling of Greatness. And that was a, it was a great book. Uh, I read 20 some odd years ago with all those stories that you talk about. Um, um, but please go on. Yeah, that's the, and that's, you know, the, it, it, both Lauren and Tim O'Connor wrote books that inspired me. 
And it was those stories that I found so fascinating. Um, but again, in, so in my, since that story, since that, that sort of look has already been um, approached by those, by those writers and by their great books, I thought, well, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I want to, I want to tell it differently. So I wanted to take those situations and now let's, let's put it as if Mo's in them or Mo is, 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 is somehow um, either telling the story or is actually living the story, but in a fictional way. Um, mm -hmm. Because there's, a, there's, there's just, there's so many events that happen. I'll just throw out a random one um, with the masters. Um, there's the story, you know, when he got there, he got hauled off the court or hauled, hauled, hauled off the course because he didn't have a caddy. Right. Yeah. Mo, 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 it's true. Mo hated having a caddy. He didn't want anybody touching his ball. He didn't want anyone telling him what to do. He wanted to get to be fast. Let's keep going. But also he couldn't afford it. But yeah. the story is, you know, just that he got kicked off the course. And I thought, well, let's, so let's have a, let's have a chapter where, where there actually, he meets Clifford and what probably really happened and you start to empathize with mo and realize that again he just kept being put in situations that he had difficulty reacting to and the the sort of um, um barriers put up in front of him were so often just thrown up on the poor guy yeah well there in those times golf was uh you know catered to more of an elitism uh, and, and him coming in with autism is a little strange. Uh, you know, I, I think that he would have been way more accepted had he been a modern player in today's age with the awareness of autism, uh, you know, as, you know, as we are now. So do, do you agree with that? Do you think that, uh, that the current state of professional golf would be more welcoming to him? Absolutely. And again, it's another reason I wrote the book. I was, when yeah. I was talking to my nephews, about him and, and and the things about him, you know, there was so many, so many. Oh, that's that's cool, or that's too bad. And they all they all saw him see it as an as an opportunity missed. And they all I know that they all would have embraced this guy. They would have he would have been a rock star. Oh yeah, he was allowed to be himself. And the and the obvious example for our time is John Daly. Yeah. Right. I mean. John dresses his own way. John has all his foils with his gambling and the drinking and the marriages and the, all of that stuff. But it, but it humanizes him for us. The man can hit yeah. the ball and drive the ball and play and win, you know, win a major, but he's, ju he's just as flawed as I am. And yeah. I think when we get to see people, the guys in the PGA are also squeaky clean and perfect, right? And so mm -hmm. have the guys who are closer than us but can still be phenomenal in their sport, I just think nowadays we eat them up and we yeah. have a place for people like those nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. And for those who don't know who Mo Norman is, he's a Canadian golf legend. And um, maybe your nephews could watch this podcast and see his accomplishments and listen to his accomplishments. A Canadian amateur champion winner in 1955 and 1956, 55 career tour wins on the Canadian tour and worldwide. Uh, Canadian PGA Championship winner in 1966 and 1974, seniors winner 79, 85, and 87. Uh, he's he holds over 33 course records uh, still to this day, and with uh, something that's pretty unbelievable because most of us only experience a hole in one maybe once in their lifetime. He's had 17 hole in ones uh, that are recorded. Um, exhibition rounds. 
in the low 60s, uh, hundreds, below 60 unofficially, also a few hundred times supposedly. So that's something we don't, uh, people don't know and don't talk about all that much. He's also inducted in Canadian Golf Hall of Fame and the Ontario Golf Hall of Fame. Uh, so the, that's pretty incredible. And of course, he played as an amateur back in 1956. Uh, I believe he played twice as an amateur. And one of the stories that really stand out for me is when he uh, spoke to one of his uh, icons, uh, Sam Sneed, and he gave him a tip about his grip. And he worked on it after playing two rounds for several hours straight until his hands bled. And the reason why he wasn't able to complete his third round is because his hands were so raw from hitting golf balls because he wanted to fix his grip because his icon told him what he needed to do to change his grip a little bit. It's just just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. There's a chapter about that in the book. Oh, good. Uh, I can't <laughs> wait to sink my eyes into this. No. Um, and, and the one thing I'll add, he, not only he shot a number of 59s, and he shot one of them when he was 62. Right. Wow. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's amazing. And what, what I, I laughed when I you know, started Googling Mo Norman uh, earlier, uh, he's hitting balls on the range beside Ben Hogan, and Mo's hitting it dead straight. Right. And Ben Hogan says to him, keep hitting those flukes as he walks away. Right. Uh, again, just leads back to what I said about not being that accepted in the day being different. And, uh, right. And, you know, he played 27 tour events and made 25 cuts, which is unbelievable uh, to have done that. So, you know, it's he was the, the tour player that could have been. Right. And like, I, I really wish we had more Mo Norman on the PGA Tour. And, um, you know, uh, really, it would be great if he was uh, could live a lot, a lot longer or, could, you know, I just wish we had more. There's not a lot of video about him. Right. There's there's not there. There's a, a, a few books, a few articles, but uh, a few interviews, but it's just so limited. Right. Uh, uh, you know, I remember Peter Kessler in the 90s, you know, uh, was lucky to get a get some time with him on the range and the golf channel and, and the camera, you know, we couldn't keep track of him because Mo was all over the place, just pumping balls out into the range. And uh, it's, it's amazing. It's fascinating. Yeah, they say that when he would show up at any of the, you know, later in life, when he would show up at any of the tournaments, all the pros, all the big guns rushed to see him. Everybody yeah. wanted to watch him. I mean, you can't it's incredible when people like tiger woods paul azinger lee trevino mike weir vj singh bob golding nick price tom watson the list is endless they'll all look you in the face and say best ball striker ever mo norman yeah and that's and and, and again, there's that there's that famous video of what you're talking about with uh with faldo and all of them standing around watching him this was i believe in the 80s just watching yeah. him hit balls and in, in amazement couldn't believe it because he would hit yeah. it like a rope You're right yeah. down the middle and as a golf instructor myself i always talk about how the ball is round and the swing is elliptical there is more likely than the ball has some shape than it being perfectly straight because people are always trying to hit it straight but he would hit it dead straight yeah. Yeah. and he would call out his yardage you know to remember one of them 285 up the middle yep you know, uh, you know. <laughs> that's a, that's a good impression. 285, yeah. 285. Yeah. So, well, and again, there's a great scene in the book in the, it's in the, and it's the second chapter. So you get a taste of that right away. 
where he's put in a situation where his his intelligence is challenged while his prowess prevails. Yeah. Is there any chapter or statements in the book that stand out or have gotten any attention that might have surprised you? How so? Well, just, you know, like you, you may expect certain chapters or, or paragraphs to maybe garner some attention, um, right? So is, is there anything that uh, anyone's commented on you that you didn't expect uh, to get any feedback on? Well, I can give you one negative one, and, and, and I hope it turns into a positive one day. I actually did, a com- I did get a comment from someone who said, how dare you name the book Send in the Cloud? How rude, how offensive, how disrespectful. And I went, and then I just followed up with, the, did you read the book? Did you read the book? Exactly. I'll never read your book. And yeah. I, all I texted him back was, I said, one of the reasons that I wrote this book is that you should never judge a book by its cover. Yeah. It's right. like judge. Yeah. Judge yeah. by how. And I said, in your one comment, you have vindicated the reason for writing my book, and I do hope you will one day read it. Yeah. Well, well, it's positive. Good, good for you for calling them out because you, you know they haven't read it. And uh, right. So, and hopefully they do, and you get your vindication. If you're I just would, go ahead. So, the, one of the most already the most um, rewarding um, parts of writing this book, a thing about writing this book, is I'm getting emails from the UK or the States, um, just as much as Canada. It's not just, yeah. I thought the Canadians will eat this book up and that's it, but it's not. The, it's, it's, it's far, far, far reaching. But I keep getting emails from folks who said, either I knew Mo Norman, I, I've seen them at a clinic, I've golfed with them, and they all say, you have nailed it. You've absolutely okay. nailed it. And that feels great because, I mean, all I have were the videos all i have mm-hmm. were these books and and some you know articles and clippings i had to a lot of it i had to make up because i never had the personal experience and mm-hmm. so it was important for me that i had told that i had depicted him accurate accurately and i mm-hmm. and i do think in retrospect it's because i'm an actor it's because i'm able to put myself in somebody else's shoes and live their mm-hmm. live, you know their life that i was able to take those things and make them come real so mm-hmm. i it's it's the fact that the, yeah. that I, from the feedback I get from people who really yeah. know him, who say I've nailed it, makes me yeah. feel that I'm giving. When I put you in his shoes, I think it's a, a it's a, I'm putting you in a in a pretty good place to to see and understand. At least I yeah. Well, that's Excellent. a great job. For those of you who are just tuning in, we're talking to Andrew Stelmack, who's the author of Send in the Clown. He's a visual artist and actor. Um, I'm fascinated uh, by this, and I, I'm I'm really looking forward to read it. I apologize we didn't have a chance uh, to uh, to go through it, uh, but maybe you could uh, highlight maybe some of the stories or give us an example of something uh, that stands out in the book. Maybe a favorite part that you had to write about, or something you learned about Mo. Uh, that's a toughie, only because I don't want to give stuff away. Because um, I, I, I know there are some things in there that people can go, I didn't know that. And, and they're, they're pretty remarkable kind of things. Um, yeah, it's, hard, it's, it's hard to pick out anything particular that stands out. I love, I've always loved the, um, the, the master story. Okay. Not only 
what not, not only how how it showed how eager this man also wants to please right for someone who 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 outwardly looked like he repelled everybody else and wanted no part of everybody else when in truth he wanted to please um so that chapter that sh it shows that part of him and it shows his eagerness but to a fault um mm -hmm. but it also when the masters ended he won 15 of his yeah. 17 next tournaments. You know, and one of them he got kicked out of for asking an Right. Like that's in, so he took that moment and he did something with it. And I, yeah. I, 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 again, we've all been, we've been talking so far about best ball striker on the planet. Everybody would have said it is the, the listing of the 55 tournament wins, the provincial opens, all of that. And yet he's still not that well known. And the question also begs, well, why didn't he win more? And again, people have often just said, yeah, well, he didn't win. Yeah, but he didn't win on the PGA Tour. Or, yeah, but he didn't win very much. Um, but that's not true. But even when he did lose, and it's part in the book, the reason he did not win, it was a choice. And that choice had something to do with him as a human being, him with his, 100%. again, we don't know. Always thinking fair chance learning. If people I know, do, know, you know the, the Norman, there's also another reason he might act the way he does. Um, it's in the book. I don't want to give that one away, but it's, uh, we don't, we don't quite know what Mo's um, mental health issues were or were not, because um, mm -hmm. there's no spectrum back then didn't exist. There was no way to slot anybody. And Mo yeah. did not go see a doctor until he was literally two or three years before death because of his heart issues. So oh, he never, wow. we never even had a chance to see him. I mean, a doctor never even got a chance to you know, say, yeah, I think he was, or this could have been because he was just never tested or looked at by a medical professional at any point in given time. So we just wow. don't know. Wow. It's the man of mystery, right? Like it's such an amazing golfer and so mysterious. And, uh, you know, there's so many stories that come around even a couple of weeks ago at my golf club, we're sitting around talking a couple of the older members, uh, to, who had uh, some old stories shared them. And, you know, there was one tournament, uh, and I don't recall which golf club it was at, but the head pro brought him into the shop set him up with clothing and some balls and, uh, you know, Mo just took it through it in his trunk and then teed off in his old clothes. <laughs> uh, well, and that's just, right. He, he used to sell right, his like, stuff out of his back trunk. Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. Right. And yeah. So, and then this happened everywhere. Apparently he would just get all types of swag and yeah, he sold it and, uh, and then carried on in his, uh, you know, worn out shirts and still wanted to sleep in the bunkers, even though he had free hotels. Yep. So, and uh, big trouble because of that, because back, you know, back in the days, I, I mean, still today, an amateur can't accept money, but, you know, the guy didn't have two nickels in his pocket, but, but they're giving him TV sets and watches and all this stuff that were pointless. They're of no use to him whatsoever. He needed money for an entry fee or, you know, for mm -hmm. a meal or for gas to the next tournament. And so, and then looking around him, it was all, all the rich kids. Well, yeah, they weren't, they weren't selling, they weren't, they weren't having to sell their stuff because mommy and daddy could pay the bills for them. But there mm -hmm. were other guys just like him who were also selling their stuff in the parking lot because that's how they made ends meet. And so yeah. the amateur, in his amateur career, he was not liked by the establishment at all. And it's 
it's again another example in his lifetime how society and the establishment always worked against him and he always had to mm -hmm. overcome hurdles yeah it's it's fascinating that he only made seven thousand one hundred and thirty four dollars in his pga tour career uh, later on on the Champions Tour, he was able to make $22,000 plus. But if you think about uh, inflation and how things have changed and what the players are making these days, uh, I think he would be able to live on endorsements alone and do very well for himself and take care of not only himself, but his family. He doesn't, like you mentioned, he doesn't come from a wealthy background and had a hard life as it is. Uh, having his you know, disability... Uh, was uh, it's not easy in the golf industry. No, not at, at all, at all. And don't forget, when he was, a lot of people don't understand that the PGA exists, but the PGA tours, because Nicholson Palmer decided to create that entity. And Mo in the in 56 to 58, and 58 is when he first was on, on the PGA tour, that his very first master's tournament in 56 was the very first time that the Masters was on TV the mm. final two rounds. So there was a lot of pressure for this to be a sport that people wanted to connect to, and it had to be squeaky clean, perfect. And so Mo was a big problem. And the easiest thing to do with Mo was to make sure he didn't get to play golf. Mm -hmm. Wait, which is a shame. It's a shame because, yeah. you know... Absolutely. You know, Lee Trevino comes to mind as, uh, you know, a great ball striker. And, you know, I think us as all Canadians will agree that Mo was uh, a better ball striker. But uh, it, it would just be so great to have seen uh, more of all of these great players crowding around Mo and like they do Lee Trevino, right? Like, you know, yep. a couple last year uh, to PNC, that was amazing to see Tiger and Lee and all, all the, you know, JT and these guys crowding around Lee. And, and Mo could have been this this persona that, 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 uh, would be a, a rise above the tour. And, um, you, you know, I, I, have watched as much a video as I can of Mo and you just can't help, but feel for him. Like, uh, you know, that you'd, you'd want to be around, like I guarantee a lot of Canadian golfers in our age demographic would have him in their dream foursome. Uh, right. Because, uh, the, the talent and the personality, I think would just be the best experience that you could have as a golfer. Well, as a, as a golf instructor, I'm always fascinated with the, his single plane golf swing, right? It was more like a Ferris wheel than a, an elliptical swing that goes around your right shoulder and over your left shoulder. So it was very upright, very similar to what you would do possibly in the bunker where you're going over your neckline and you're coming through on your swing and across it. But he just seemed to hit it down the line and it worked for him. And, uh, you know, he didn't have anybody teaching him how to do that, right? It just uh, it came out of the dirt. Yeah, yep. years of just pounding balls and uh so very fascinating uh from a uh, student perspective even more fascinating as a coach and instructor well and on and, that you know, and another thing that you know created um during his time the disbelief right i mean not only this you got this guy looking looking odd and silly with his bright mismatched clothes but he's if he just swung, you'd think this guy could never hit the ball right. with perfection. So he was just an anomaly in so many different ways that you would never, if you just looked at him, there is no way this guy could hit a ball. Mm -hmm. 
You would pay oh, yeah. him no attention. And that apparently happened very early on in his career at the at these sort of shows and the where he would have a clinic and he would just start off with two or three people. By the time he was done, there were hundreds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you walk by and go, what the hell? Yeah. yeah. You can't turn away. Well, what's interesting, and I just thought of this now, is George Gankus is one of our modern instructors who, you know, recently become top 100 of the year by Golf Digest and based out in Santa Barbara, California. Um, but, you know, watching uh, one of the videos linked to YouTube where Mo's, uh, you know, holding off his release and his hips are wide. That's what George is uh, pushing with a lot of his drills, uh, you know, to help people with their impact and their power. Um, and here's, here's Mo doing this decades ago, uh, with unbelievable power. Imagine you bring in today's equipment, you know, with these, uh, you know, the high technology, uh, drivers, uh, you know, uh, Mo would be a wrecking force. I think he would be hitting the ball well over uh, 325. Yeah, 325. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like 325, he, he would be, uh, he wouldn't be happy with it. We, we would see some incredible numbers. Uh, out of Mo uh, and with some TrackMan data, like you know, how fun could that be? We that almost would have be to amazing. model that with somehow, uh, you know, if we if we get uh, get a techie in on that, model it to see what kind of TrackMan data Mo would have. That would with, be interesting. That would be really fun so, to see. Putting that out also, there, if anyone wants to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the older you get, as well, the more some of his 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 uh, the, the way he golf makes sense. Mm-hmm. And because you, you may not hit it as far, but if you start hitting your, your shots are far, far, far straighter, game changer. Yeah. Then you think you know, like right now, low spin is key on, on drivers. And, and if he was hitting the ball dead straight on a rope, his spin rate must have been like 1000 or less. I, I'm just <laughs> guessing, you know, I don't know the data well enough, but to hit a ball that doesn't move. Uh, he, he must have been hitting that with with wonderful low spin, and they would probably run a mile. Well, if you look at he would if he would he could he'd say okay I'm going to hit a, hit a hundred balls to the two hundred yard marker. They'd all be within mm-hmm. ten feet of the marker. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there would be a thirty foot circle that he could hit a hundred balls drives. That is not yeah. wedges. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. drives within a 30 foot circle which is, it, well yeah. and, and he would hit a wedge off a tee and then his driver off the fairway right like there's <laughs> i've heard stories about this that i just like just is perplexing to to but that's what he would see he he sees things so differently than uh, the typical golfer and uh yeah and that's that's what we love about that character yeah and that's what again what fascinated me about it uh, and made me write the book is, you know, if you know anything about this guy, you can't stop talking about him. Yeah. Um, he's so fascinating and the stories are so incredible and the skill set is so high. And the fact that nobody knows about him or only the folks inside golf or any, and even within, it's inside golf within a smaller circle, circle than that, it's um, you have to ask the question, well, why is that? How is that even possible? And that's mm-hmm. when it comes into, because for me, it's, because Mo is different. And when people are different, we want to hide them away or we want to have nothing to do with them. We only want around people around us who look just like us, who say yeah. the same things as us. And we're running into that right now um, in the world. It's like anybody who's a little bit different from you is suddenly the enemy. So I, yeah. I just, I think society played a big role in, mm-hmm. in, Mo's, in Mo's failure to be the superstar. And definitely some of it was self-imposed but we have a play, we have a part to play 
Yeah. I think we're doing a great job here to sell to celebrate him, uh, to yeah. talk about him. And uh, with your book, uh, it certainly heightens uh, all his accomplishments and all his intricacies. Listen, Andrew, can you tell us, please, where we could reach you, uh, not only on social media, but where can we uh, get the book? Okay, so you can right now get the book on Amazon and on Kindle. Send in the clown. Um, you can also get, if you wanted an autographed copy, you can actually get that through me. Um, okay. You can go to my website, which is astelmac.com, A-S-T-E-L-M-A-C-K.com, the A is for Andrew. And there's a tab that just says my novel, because of, of course my, the, my main career is as a visual artist. So it's on my, my, major, my main website. Um, and, or you could just email me at agstelmac at gmail.com. A number of people have asked to have the autographed copies, and I'm more than happy to do that and ship it in the mail. Just pop it in the mail. I'll do that before over Amazon, Andrew. I'll, I'll go through your site Amazon, and grab a copy yeah. of the paper because, yeah, that would be great because I'm looking for I'm going to bump it to the top of the list. So the current book I'm on, once that's done, I'm going to yours is next because I, I, I think Mo Norman is something that's got to be celebrated. And um, for fun, before we wrap up, I want to ask both of you, since you're both actors, um, imagine there is the Mo Norman story comes out as a feature film. Who would you each pick to play Mo Norman? Start with you, Andrew. You'd probably be surprised by my first. Uh, actually, the two people I want have died. I think Robin Williams would have been phenomenal. Yes, okay. Absolutely. So, so now you now you've uh, that's it. That's all I had. <laughs> that was my number. that was my pick. That was be I can't amazing. think of anybody who would be able to do uh, a, a job like that. I'm um, thinking Jackie Gleason, but he's gone too. Uh, you know, he might have been able to pull that off. Williams would be amazing. But you had one other one, Andrew. And now I'm totally drawing a blank. He played Capote. Um, oh, Philip too. Seymour. Philip Seymour Hoffman would have yeah, been he, fabulous. He would have been great too. Yeah, he would have been great too. Fortunately, we lose the great ones too early. Um, so yeah, myself, I, I, I am not sure who uh, who could pull that off because you need that actor who can get into their mind. Like uh, Jim Carrey physically doesn't look like he could play no more Mo Norman, but he's that um, you know physical actor that could probably dive into the character and maybe get away with it. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I well, there's I'm not sure. there's there's one person that I'm thinking of. Um, Jonah Hill is is a fantastic actor. He may may be able to pull it off. Um, there's one other guy. He's, he was in the very first episode of, of the Fargo series. He does. He's starting to get a lot. We're seeing a lot of him lately. Again, I'm bad with names, but he and he he's he's a lot like Philip Seymour Hoffman. He could probably pull it off too. The thing is, you you're right. You, you have to be a brilliant actor. You have mm -hmm. to be. You have to be able to channel the manicness and the high pitch and the mannerisms of Mo. Mm. But you go back to that fireside chat. You have to see the humanity in the pain yeah. because Mo's great at hiding it. He's yeah. great at hiding it. But if you look, it's there. It's you honest. can see it. You can see it in the eyes. You yeah. can certainly see it in the he eyes. Wanted, he wanted to be. He, he always would say, you know, he said, I'm the best ball striker there is. I'm the best ball. And that's not me who's saying that. It's everybody else saying that about me. Oh, no, it's not. It's yeah. not me. It's not me saying it. It's everybody else. Yeah. So it's so clear that that meant so much to him to just get that accolade to get 
to be told, yeah, you did achieve what you wanted to achieve. You are that good because I bet he didn't hear it very often. Yeah. No, that, that uh, you know, really, if there was a movie to be made and the actor nailed it, uh, this could be an Academy Award winning performance because uh, uh, he's such a character and they would have to study his swing and work on his swing. So, you know, might that's, have that's to the be tough someone, part. Yeah. Yeah. That, that like that they would really have to work hard to to replicate what Mo was doing. Um, but uh, it would know, be a great. I, let's hope uh, it happens. It would be a great uh, Rain Man style of story, right? It would be. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. You know, you'd... Go ahead. I was going to say you'd actually need a couple actors because to catch him when he was young and then as he aged. So, so uh, you you probably have to cast two people. Yeah. Although with the makeup and special effects nowadays, you never know. Yeah, true. that's right. Um, yeah, true. That's the one. That's the one other thing that I'd like to to mention about the book too is that obviously I've read it, written it for the golf crowd. I'm passionate about golf. People I I know are too. Um, but I also have a couple of friends who have special needs kids. I understand mm -hmm. the challenges. I understand the journey. I see the hurdles. I see what's lying in front of them. Yeah. And I just I thought you know this is. This is the type of book that doesn't have to be just for a golfer. Anybody That's a good point. Can pick up this book. They can pick it up. And not only can they connect to um, seeing how when a person struggles, how about we reach out our hand rather than shake our head or turn our back? Why don't we, yeah. why don't we try and do something about it? Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I know I, I, sent the, I, I sent a book to two people who have special needs kids and they don't have any interest in golf whatsoever. And one of them was like, what are you even, why are you even sending me this? Um, I, I don't like golf at all. I said, just for me, read it just for me. Yeah. She said, well, of course I will. With that evening, she, she wrote, I'm on chapter five. My, my eyes are filled with tears. Is he special needs? And I said, you have to keep reading. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and the book can strike that chord. The book can strike yeah. the chord with everybody that not only can we help somebody, but I, do, I bet you, I, everybody have either changed a part of yourself, hidden a part of yourself to fit in a mm -hmm. part of yourself that was true, but in order, to, in order to succeed or in order to fit in, you buried it or you changed it. And it's another thing to show that when you don't, May Mo may never have become a superstar, but Mo stuck to his truth. And when he mm -hmm. stuck to his truth, he went to his grave a happy man. Mm. Yeah. Well, with Jeez. that being said, Andrew, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, oh. We're, we're going to try to promote you as much as possible. Uh, once again, we're on uh, 16 different platforms. Uh, we're going to pop it on social media. Make we'll sure put... you pick up a copy of Send in the Clown by Andrew Stelmack. You could uh, listen and there um, and follow him on your screen but there so it is we'll we'll post uh, your amazon links and your website links in the youtube video uh just so so just to help promote it and um it'll also give you some more content online so please uh throw us a share uh on youtube or any of the other plat platforms you're on we'd uh, or twitter uh wherever you can we'd really appreciate it and um and if you're in Vancouver or Toronto, uh, you got to come play a game with us uh, if you're in so one of I our cities. I'm only in, I'm only in Winnipeg from May to October. So okay. fall, we'll get a game in. All Absolutely. Right, we'll yeah, definitely. Definitely. 
Thanks, right. Andrew. I uh, really appreciate taking the time today. And uh, I will email you. I'll buy a book off your website and we'll uh, uh, I look forward to getting an autographed copy. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Excellent. All right. For Michael Bleakley and Andrew Stelmack, I'm Raphael Calamat. You've been listening to the Golf Podcast Live, brought to you today by Mindshare Workspace. Make sure you